So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to each one of us. I thank you, Lord, for each person here tonight. I believe, Lord, that we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding. As we open the word of God, I declare that you will enable my mind and my mouth to be in sync with your spirit. And, Lord, that our minds and hearts are open to hear, to receive, and a spirit of revelation is upon each one of us. For that, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. A scripture that we started with last week, or one of them, is in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, and he who comes to God must believe that A, he is, and B, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Three important words, I believe, in that verse. One is faith, and the other is he is, he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I'm kind of using that verse as the basic foundation for what we're going to be saying about prayer. But tonight I want to put two emphasis. And one is how to agree in prayer, and the other is looking at how Jesus prayed. Now for some... Uh, I don't think it'll be anybody that's in this room right now, but for some that may be listening to this later, this may be a new topic. And for that reason, I want to put some emphasis on it when we get to it. But we're going to begin here with this verse of Scripture, Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they shall ask, It will be done for them of my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, uh, let me back up a little bit and, and kind of frame this. The Old Testament, the Bible says, the law and the prophets were until John. That is, we're talking about Mosaic Covenant. Since then, the kingdom of God is preached. All right? So the Mosaic Covenant was the full, in full operation up until John came, but something new was added with the ministry of John, and that is the announcement of the kingdom of God became the primary message. And it's still the primary message. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John came on the scene and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4 Uh, 17, Jesus repeats that in his ministry. And then in Matthew chapter 10, 7, when he sent his disciples out, he said, go preach the kingdom. And so the message is, the overarching message is the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus ministered here in the Gospels, hear me carefully, he ministered truth and life, regardless of kingdom. Why? Because he transcends all earthly Covenants, all right? He overcomes and transcends all covenants. You can't limit God to a particular covenant only, all right? So Jesus came and he taught. But when you and I look back at it, we should be looking back at through the message of the kingdom. Now, that's going to become important as we continue, all right? So what he says here about prayer, agreeing in prayer, The word agree is a Greek word, symphonio, symphonio, 
symphony sound together as one. That's when we pray in agreement, we're supposed to be agreeing on what we're praying about at the time of the prayer and what we're saying both then and afterward. For example, if somebody comes up to me and says, I want you to agree with me. And I said, okay, what are we agreeing about? And they said, it's, oh, it's an unspoken prayer request. You know what I tell them? I can't agree with you in prayer about that. I had a lady get mad at me one time because I told her that. She said, well, why not? I said, because I don't know what I'm agreeing to. If it's unspoken, you know I don't. And if I'm going to say and sound the same as you, there's nothing for me to, to get a hold of. See, so if you're going to pray the prayer of agreement, that means those two, those three, those 10,000, whoever has to come together over the object, thing, situation they're praying about, and they are believing the same thing, they are praying the same thing, and afterwards they're declaring the same thing. If you don't have that, you don't have a prayer of agreement. Symphony, sounding together as one. That is the prayer of agreement. It's a petition prayer. It's a prayer that God gives us the opportunity to pray. If two or three, when you're gathered together, if they asked, it'll be done of my Father in heaven. That's, that's a prayer of agreement. It's very simple. But it can't be an unspoken request. It has to be spoken. We have to know what we're praying for, what the outcome is expected to be, what we're believing that God's going to intervene and do. There's power in agreement. All right? There's a, oftentimes a corporate anointing when people agree in prayer. Well, how many people does it take to get a specific thing accomplished when we've agreed in prayer? The Bible doesn't tell us a number beyond these numbers. Two or three are sufficient in many cases. Well, if we can get 10,000 people praying for America, could we change the course of history? I don't know any scripture that says 10,000. You know, but you, you see that, you know, published lots of times. But when we're praying the prayer of agreement, we have to be on the same page. And the more people you're talking about, the harder it is to get them all on the same page. See, seeing and saying and declaring after the prayer what the prayed for object is. So I think really that's why we start off with a small number. All right, so I'm going to give you some examples about Jesus' prayer life. First, I want to give you an assignment. And you can work this assignment between now and next week or between the last session we have in February. That is, look in the Gospels at times when Jesus prayed or when he ministered to somebody in need. Healing, deliverance, raising them from the dead, those type of situation, and look at how he prayed. Now, what you're going to find, we're going to look at a few of them in just a minute. But I tell you, going into it, it's going to be hard for you to find situations where Jesus begged the Father for anything. You know why? Because he never did it. He never did it. 
That's why I'm saying, won't you read the Gospels and see if you can find one? Or just find any place where Jesus prayed. Here, let me give you some examples. In Matthew 19, 13, he prayed over some children. He blessed them. He spoke words of blessing to the kids. No doubt he touched them. Matthew 19, 13. He prays in the garden, Matthew 26, 36. We don't know what he said other than in the garden when he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But he even prayed other things beyond that, but that's what we have recorded, which was a prayer of consecration. He ended that prayer by saying, but not my will, but your will be done. He was consecrating himself to doing and following through on the will of the Father. When he was baptized, Luke 3.21, he prayed. What did he say? We don't know. just says he prayed. In John 17.1, he prays to the Father that the Father will be glorified. And then in John 17.20, he prays for his disciples, you and me, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Now, but beyond that, there's some other places where Jesus ministered to people. So what I want you to do is look up as you read the, the Gospels and see if you can find places where Jesus prayed and follow his example. I think you probably, taking the model prayer is a place for us to begin to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and so on. Those are, that's kind of a track to begin to learn to pray. But actually, what I'm about to share with you, I think it extends that or implements the model prayer into specific situations. Now, look in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, if you've got a Bible or if you've got it on your phone. I'm going to not read all these. I'm going to point out some things. I'm going to point out eight examples in these two chapters. There are more examples than these, but these are eight. In the book of Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, we begin with Jesus having a leprous man come to him. Lord, I know if you're willing, you can make me whole. Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I'm willing, be healed, be cleansed. All right? Where did he pray for him? You can, you can speak back. In this passage, when did he pray for him? He didn't. He just said, I am willing. The leper said, if you're willing, you can make me whole. Jesus said, I'm willing. Be cleansed. A command, not a prayer. A command. He didn't ask the Father to do anything. He said, be cleansed. All right? Go to chapter 8 and verse 5. We have a centurion who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And then the centurion, a man of great faith, and the passage talks about this. He said, I don't need you to come to my house. I'm paraphrasing it. You know, I'm a man of authority. I understand authority. I know you can say, a person in authority can say, come, and people come, and go, and they go. And he said, all you have to do is speak the word. And what did Jesus say? I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. All right? Now, in the, in the, the leper, first part of this chapter, no faith is mentioned. Here, 
the centurion's faith is mentioned. Then go on down to verse 14. Jesus comes into Peter's house. He saw his wife's mother, that is Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. He didn't even command anything. At this point, just laid hands on her, just touched her. That's interesting. Verse 16, when the evening had come, they brought to him many who were demonized, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He spoke a word and demons went out. He cast out the spirits and he healed. How did he heal? It doesn't say here, but that he did. All right? That's going down into chapter 2, uh, verse 28. And this is where he was met by uh, two demonized people, men. And they were exceeding fierce. They cried out, What have we do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? And they said to Jesus, If you cast us out, permit us to go into the pigs. And he said, Go. And they did. And the pigs ran down and drowned in the, in the river or the, the lake. And the whole city came out and told him to leave. What, my point is this, and you'll see examples of this in chapter 9, and you'll find these uh, similar examples in some of the other Gospels and even more than what we're looking at. Actually, I think you'll find it 19 examples exactly that are related to healing, just healing in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and maybe one or two in John. And uh, there's 19 of them. It looks like there may be more than that, but because they're repeated so many times, I think there's actually 19 of them. And go and look at those and see how Jesus ministered to people. To me, it's quite fascinating to see how he did it. He would speak, he would touch, he would declare, and didn't pray like we pray lots of times. So when he was the son of God, Ah, yes, he was. But you know how he ministered during his earthly ministry? Not as the Son of God, creator of the world. He ministered as a man anointed by the Spirit of God. That's how he ministered. See, the Bible said the Father created the world through Jesus, through the spoken word. The word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All right, that's how God created, was through the word Jesus. Spoke, declared, it became. Jesus as a man did not operate that way. He operated as a man, human, anointed by the Spirit of God. And so what are we to be? We're humans anointed by the Spirit of God. What should we pray and how should we pray? Same way Jesus did. Now let me give you a little biblical background for that. Remember the mandate in Genesis 1.28, what God said to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. That command, that intent, that mandate, I mean, that's a word that we find nowadays, don't we? Hear the word mandate. That's a mandate that has never been rescinded. It's still the plan of God to do those five things. It wasn't part of the Mosaic Law. It predates the Mosaic Law. 
All right? Those five things still in effect. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion. Romans chapter 5. Now we're in the New Covenant. That those who have received abundance of grace, that's you and me, and the gift of righteousness, that's you and me, shall reign, might reign? No, he said, shall reign in life through Christ Jesus. See, you and I are reigning with Christ today. Well, I know when I get to the new Jerusalem, I'm going to reign with Him. Or when I get into millennium, I'm going to reign with Him for a thousand years. Yes, you are. And things are going to be perfect all the way around. But right now, we're reigning in life. And if we're not reigning in life, there's probably a good possibility that we may not be doing it right. Okay? I mean, that, I, I would say that's a, that's a pretty good possibility. We're probably not doing it the same way that Jesus did it, or maybe not to the degree that he did it. Okay? So we're supposed to be reigning now. We're supposed to know what the will of the Father is, obviously the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to be acting accordingly. That's why Jesus, he didn't ask the Father to do these things. He just spoke it. And the creative word is still the creative word today. The word in our mouth, in our mouth as believers, we should, those words should be in tune, obviously, with the word of God, but under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is directing us to speak. Remember the faith passage, Mark 11? Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he says. All right? So, well, I've spoken to mountains before and they didn't move. Okay? I don't think these are things that we just conjure up out of the air. I think these are things that we're led by the Holy Spirit to do. And if we are and do them, we should see results. Now, I, uh, I've known uh, both myself and many other people who have at the beginning stages, you know, you have to kind of learn to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We have to learn what the Word says and our part in, in our participating with the Father in speaking it. But as we learn how to do it, it should improve and we, and we should see more and more success. This is not meant to be a condemnation to anybody. I'm just trying to point out where we are and where we need to go to and be at some point. We need to know the Word well enough. We need to know the voice of the Holy Spirit well enough so that we can know when God is speaking to us and directing us to do something. And we speak. We speak. The Word of God in your mouth is creative. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, 10 times, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said through the creative word. Now, you and I really have been practicing this. Every time you minister to somebody who's lost and you give them the message of the gospel and you pray with them to receive Christ, here's what they do. Romans 10, 9. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Is Jesus Lord? Yes, Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, confess, believe, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We've been practicing that every time you bring somebody to Christ. All we're saying is, that's not the only time and place to do that principle. That same principle works with healing, with dealing with life's problems. Everything fits into that. You believe it, you declare it. Now, we know that Jesus believed it. And what does he do in these cases? He declared it. He believed it, he declared it. And Paul tells us in Romans there, same thing works, same principle, leading people to Christ. You share the gospel, do you believe Jesus Christ is Son of God? Do you believe when it says that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? I do believe that, okay? Then, I declare, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I make Him. I receive Him. I believe in Him to be my Lord. And they declared it. So what do they get? Ah, they get a miracle of the new birth. A changed life on the inside. Their previously dead spirit has now come alive. And they have the life of God. That's why it's so simple to get people born again if they want to be born again. It's simple if they want to be. It's simple. All you have to do is Give them the good news, and if they believe the good news and are willing to make a declaration of that fact, you can get anybody born again that wants to be. Same way, same principle on dealing with healings, casting out demons, and things of this nature. Same principle, not a different, same. All right, let's go to John chapter 9, look at some more real quickly. All right, look in verse 1. Uh, they brought a paralytic man. Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes, oh, that's the religious crowd. They had a problem with him. And you know what? The religious crowd will have problems with you and me too. If we start acting like Jesus, they're going to have a problem with us. Well, you can't do that. You're not God. And we say, I agree. I can't do this, and I'm not God. But guess what? He is, and that's His Word, and the Spirit of God is encouraging me to do that. So, rise up and walk. I'll give you a testimony later about something like that. And so what happened? There was faith mentioned, and the man was healed. You go on down to chapter, or same chapter, verse 18. A woman of issue of blood got healed. And Jesus is on the way to minister to someone uh, who has died and the child was raised up. My point, each of those occasions, he spoke, he did something, he didn't pray to the Father. Am I saying don't pray? Please don't hear me say that. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying we don't have to beg God for anything. I've been thinking the last few weeks in preparation for teaching this series. Try to remember back the last time I've asked God for anything for myself. 
I can't remember the last time I've done that. Honestly. I can't remember the last time I've asked God anything for me. Now, you know what I have done hundreds of times, perhaps thousands of times? I've said, Father, your word says that by your stripes I'm healed. So, Father, I declare, and I put in blank whatever I need done. Father, I declare by your stripes X, Y, Z, this headache is leaving in Jesus' name. Do you, do you get how I prayed then? I didn't ask him to heal me. I declared he was healing me. I declared I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's different than asking him to do something. You know why? Because he's already done it. My healing and your healing is already paid for. He's never going to take stripes on his body again, ever. He did it one time for all time. He's never going to the cross to shed his blood for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sin. He did it one time for all time. So we're not asking God to redo what he's already done. We're trying to appropriate what he's already done. Okay? So how do we do that? You believe it, you declare it. Father, I thank you that I have enough finances to pay this bill. I thank you, Lord. Your word says that my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I declare that. I believe that. I declare that. Circumstances will work out so that that need is done. You see how the principle works. I'm not having to say, oh God, would you please? Oh God, would you please? I know you're busy, God, and you got all these people asking you to do things. Oh God, I'm down here. Lord, you see me down here. Would you please? That won't get you very much. But you'll be worn out. But if you believe what the Word says and you start declaring what it says, now you're aligning yourself up with what God's already promised, what He's already provided, and we're working with Him, ruling and reigning in life. Every time we believe and declare the promises of God. See, he's using us as his ambassadors. See, every believer is an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20. You are an ambassador for Christ. As though God did beseech you, or, or said, Paul said we are, an ambassador for Christ. Though God did beseech you by us, be reconciled to God. And that's what every believer is. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're ruling and reigning with Him. We, you, me, need to speak the Word of God as we believe it. And we're on earth representing Him, carrying out His will on this planet. All right. Now, if you notice in the same, these same chapter, well, chapter 10, when he told them to go preach the kingdom, notice they were supposed to be doing the same ministry that he was doing. They were supposed to heal, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said, freely you've received, freely give. You know what you and I are supposed to be doing on planet Earth? And we're never to be crucified and die for other people's sin. That's not a part of our job. But our job is to carry out the same ministry that he commissioned them to do. And in the same process, 
Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what we call the Great Commission. In the process of carrying out the Great Commission as his representatives, we minister healing to the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. We're supposed to be doing all of those as his representatives. Now, one other point before I get to the testimony, and that is it's going to be necessary for us to be able or to have to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit of God and recognize it. See, we're talking about knowing the Word, but knowing the Word apart from the Holy Spirit is half of the job. We need to know the Word so that we can recognize this inward voice that we hear. If it's in agreement with the Word, then it is the voice of God. And if that inward voice that we hear, if it's suggesting something that's not in agreement with the Word of God, we know, nope, that is not God. That's, that's, I'm not doing that. That's not God. So we have to know the Word to know to judge the inner voice. But having the Word, having the inner voice, now we can follow that inner voice, which is the Holy Spirit, to know what to do. Let me give you some scriptures. Psalm 20, or 77, 6. The psalmist said, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit, ruach, the Greek, I mean the Hebrew word, makes diligent search. Now let me read it again. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. I checked that verse out in 45 English translations and every one of them had the same message. So I know that message is really there, okay? Every translation I had says that. What are we saying? Do you know you, you personally, you, your spirit is the point where you fellowship with God internally? Now, the mind's important. The soul, mind, will, and emotions, all of that is important. But the inner part of you, the you, your spirit, can fellowship, can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, who himself lives in you. Then the soul, then the innermost part of that is probably the spirit. So, in the spirit, where God dwells within us, you can hear the voice of God back and forth. Your spirit fellowshipping. He said, I commune, I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. You and I should be able to hear the spirit of God speaking to us internally. Now sometimes we get our own thoughts mixed into this and that's where we have to know the word well enough and know how God speaks to us to determine if this thought is really God or not. Okay? But that is important. Now, a few other scriptures. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, as believers today, we have the spirit of God living in us. Romans 8, 9 says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. So the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in the Spirit, the redeemed Spirit of every believer. Now that doesn't mean you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
So, and I believe every Christian can be and should be baptized in the Holy Spirit to, to release supernatural power. But that is another experience down the road. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, David said, I meditate, I commune, that's King James, I commune with my spirit, and it made diligent search. In other words, he, his spirit was trying to hear the voice of God within him, internally. And that's where he lives, in us. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in this room. He doesn't dwell in any particular place on planet Earth. I know there's a holy ground over in Israel. I've been there several times. I've been to the Wailing Wall and the Upper Room and all those places. But you know the same Holy Spirit that people experience there is here in this room. Okay? You can find Him in the heights. You can find Him in the depths. You can find Him north, south, east, and west. And every place else that you go, He'll already be there. Okay? He didn't dwell in you buildings. Actually, the Word of God says that. Luke chapter, uh, what is it, 748, I believe, uh, uh, the Philip said, I mean Stephen said, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hand, human hands, by man. That's not His dwelling place. This is His dwelling place. See, you and I need to learn to recognize His voice. 1 Corinthians uh, 2 and verses 12 to 14, I'll not get into those, I'll just leave those with you. But those are some verses that I would suggest that you really dig into until you comprehend and really it becomes a part of you what those verses are saying. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14 about recognizing the voice that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, what God is speaking on the inside, you, you can't comprehend that with just human reasoning. Because sometimes our human reasoning and God's reasoning aren't the same. Because we have a mind that's not 100% renewed yet. And so we're capable of missing that. So we need to comprehend what he's saying to us on the inside. All right. Now, I want to shift gears. I uh, want to give you a testimony not something that I, I was a part of, I did, or anything like that. It was, I happened to be present when this happened. Uh, 19, I believe it was in the month of March 1975, we had just recently moved from Ohio County to Paris, Tennessee. And um, it was real close to right after we had gotten there. I don't know if it was the second or third Sunday or which one of those it was. But at the end of the Sunday morning service, I was, saw somebody, one of the deacons, waving at me to come out because I would dismiss the service. So I go out, and in the nursery, I found one of the church members, a woman in her mid to late 30s, uh, who was laying on a bench. Her husband was there. Another lady or two were there. 
a doctor who's a part of the church was there and she was unconscious. And they told me, said she has heart problems and um, um, we need to pray because she's about dead. And the doctor was there and he was, had his hand on her pulse, checking her pulse all the time. And so we, the people in there started praying. We started rebuking death. I mean, she looked like she was dead. And so I whispered in Dr. Whitfield, I said, is, is she still alive? And he said, well, I can't get a pulse. And he starts giving her uh, compressions, on the chest compressions. And um, that went on. He kept doing that. And then he would stop and check for a pulse. And he said, I, I, can't, I can't find a pulse. And he would try to put his head down and let, see if she was breathing enough that he could pick it up on his side of his face. He said, I don't think she's breathing, breathing and I can't get a pulse. Well, in my mind, if you don't have either one of those two things, if you're not dead, you're about to be dead unless something happens, right? If your heart quits beating and you're not breathing, you're going to be dead in about four minutes or less. Well, after about 15 minutes of those people, all of us that were in that room, re rebuking death, commanding Linda to be healed, to wake up, be healed. After about 15 minutes, she opened her eyes. Well, right before she opened her eyes, the doctor said, I've got a pulse. I've got a pulse. And then suddenly she begins to open her eyes and looks around. Where am I? Well, you're in the nursery on a bench laying on a bench. She was real weak, so her husband got her, put her in the car, and took her home. Later, I found out that she'd been having this heart problem for quite some time. In fact, her doctor had said, we have to do a, a heart surgery on you. Uh, there was a heart valve problem. There was AFib going on, and uh, he said, we have to do that, and they wouldn't get the surgery because they didn't have any insurance. They were ex-Amish people, and uh, he was a construction worker. He built uh, houses. He built, laid blocks and stone and for fireplaces and all that stuff. So he was really good at that. But anyway, they didn't have any health insurance, so they didn't get the surgery yet. But God raised her up. God raised her up. And as I was thinking about it, I remembered back as to how we prayed. We, did, we didn't beg God to do anything. We declared that spirit of death, devil, you're trying to take her life. We rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Be gone from her. Be healed, Linda. Be healed. Wake up, Linda. So you see how we're praying. And she woke up. And she lived many years. She did pass away. They moved back to Pennsylvania, I don't know, 10 years uh, several years ago, and I think she probably died about eight to ten years ago, something like that. And she did eventually have that surgery uh, in Pennsylvania, but, and it enabled her to live better the last few years of her life. But she has passed away in, in, uh, since that time. Now, I want to give you my first, remember I said last week, if I don't have a uh, an actual testimony, we're going to have case studies. Okay, I'm going to give you a case study. This is somebody, this is a lady who used to be a member of this church, and if you ask me, I will not tell you her name. She, she is dead now, and I still won't tell you her name, uh, because I, I'm going to give you some personal information 
that, uh, that's, that only, that's all you need. Okay? This lady was 79 years old at the time. She had asthma. This was her underlying condition. And then she had cancer. She was a real strong Christian, very much a person of faith, very positive. You would not hear her complaining about things. Oh, you know, I just feel so bad today. I just know I'm about to die. I never heard her, and all the time I knew her, say things like that. She would not do that. Well, the situation with the cancer and her health got worse, so she asked for the elders of the church to come. If there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. So the elders went to her house. We anointed her with oil. We prayed for her. Several women had, had gone to her house before and after this and prayed as well and declared the promises of God. All right? Now, the case study is this. With that information, how would you pray for her? Think about it for a minute. How would you pray for her? She's 79 years old. She's lived a good life. She has a, a daughter that lived out west. She had a son that lived down south. And um, uh, she had what she needed to, to live her life. Would you pray, Lord, you know, she's lived a good life. Just go ahead and take her home. Would you say, Lord, just let her die peacefully. Give her peace. Would you be declaring a miracle or a gradual healing? Tell me how you would pray for this lady. Mark? Uh-huh. Okay. And her answer would be, because we did ask her that, oh, I want to be healed. I want to live. I want to be healed. And I, I really believe that. I really believe that she wanted to live and wanted to be healed. Because for one thing, the type of cancer she had and, and how it had progressed, the fact that she had lived as long as she did live was probably God extending her life. Okay? So how would, how would you pray for a situation like that? Anybody else? How would you, how would you go about praying for her? Mm-hmm. She had a confession sheet that we put together for her. Uh, you know, sheets of paper this size. Scriptures on healing. I think I had given her two, two sheets and she had them posted in her house. So she was doing that the best she knew how. Yep. Anybody else? How would you pray for this lady? Yes, sir. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And she often prayed in her prayer language. And uh, I think a number of people had also, uh, you know, agreed in prayer and would pray for her in their prayer language. I think that was happening at least occasionally. Anybody else? How would we pray for a person like this? Over here.
answer. That's right. Ab right. Yeah, you don't have to die sick. We don't have to die sick. We don't have to die of cancer or anything else. You can die well. In fact, that's the way I want to go. I want to be the healthiest dead person you've ever seen. <laughs> I want to be well. In fact, I've already put my order in to God. So I have. You think I'm, I'm joking? I'm not. And that is, when it comes my time to go, I want to go to bed and go to sleep and wake up on the other side. It's all right to do that. I, I saw my, my father do something similar to that. I, I grew up hearing him say, when my time comes to die, I want to have my clothes on helping my neighbor do something for him. I heard him say that probably hundreds of times. So you know how he went? He was out helping his neighbor mow his neighbor's yard. His neighbor had been sick, had had to have surgery, and so my dad drove by his place one day and said, oh, Michael needs his yard mowed. So he told my wife, I'm going to, his wife, to, I'm going to put the mower in the back of my pickup and I'm going up to mow Michael's yard. So he goes up and he starts mowing Michael's yard. And in the process, he just fell over. And that coroner said he was dead before he hit the ground. He, you know what? He'd been declaring that for years. So something about God giving you the desires of your heart. Remember that passage in the Psalms? Yeah. And you know what you're doing when you do that? Speaking what you're believing for. You're speaking what you believe for. So all of these things that you've shared are very good. They're very good. And I think all of it fits together. And it's, or it's a good way incorporating all of these type things when we're praying for somebody. Now, you may run up on cases, and I have numerous times, when you needed to pray for someone, but you really wasn't sure. You weren't sure. How do I do it? You know, that's where you have a passage of Scripture. When we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but what happens? The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us for in groanings that we cannot utter is a basic idea. And I'll get to that scripture later. Uh, so, Lord, show me how to pray for this. This testimony I'm about to give you real quickly. When we were in Paris, Tennessee, pastoring a church, we had a lady who was uh, blind. Her husband was legally blind. He could see just a little bit. But she was totally blind, had been for her life, whole life. She in, was in her 30s. And we had prayed for Renda, was her name, several times at church, because all she could see is black. So prayed for laid hands on her, declared healing over, and finally it got to where she wasn't seeing black. She was seeing a little bit of light, which was an increase. She had never seen her husband's face nor her son's face. And uh, so one day I'm in the office and I'm praying and I suddenly felt urged to pray for Brent, uh, Renda. 
So I prayed for her, and I felt like the Lord said to me, as surely as I know my name, get up and go to their house and tell Rinda that God is going to heal her today. And the anointing was upon me so heavily that I was literally shaking like somebody plugged me into a 120 volt. I drove to her house just like this. Her husband was a dishwasher at a restaurant. So I knocked on the door and I said, Rinda, this is Pastor Carol. So she comes to the door. And I, d- I didn't go in. I said, Rinda, God sent me here today. And I told her what I just told you. He sent me here today and says, today is your day. He's going to heal your blindness today. The question, are you willing to receive this? Her answer, no. I said, Rinda, why not? She said, I would lose my SSI, Supplemental Security Income, which she would have. If she had nothing else wrong with her other than being blind, she would have lost it because she would have had to get a job. And I said, but Rinda, don't you understand? You'll be able to see. You'll be able to see your husband. You'll see your kid. And if you want to work, you, you can go get a job. And I tried to convince her, no. You know, that's pathetic. Several years later, she did die, but she died just like she was, still blind. My point in, in that story is this. People have to cooperate. Jesus could do no great miracles in his hometown because of her, their unbelief, Scripture says. Because of their, the people's unbelief. And that may be one of the reasons that keeps miracles and healings from happening today. It's not the only one, but it could be at least one of the reasons. Because when God has something, we have to be willing to receive it, accept it, believe it, respond to it. And if we do, we'll get it. Next week, we're going to get into the prayers of intercession. And we're going to talk about, if I get to it, praying in the Spirit and its part in our prayer life. I do about 90 plus percent of my praying in in my prayer tongues. In fact, at least 90 percent, maybe more than that. And I find that, as Rob said, that's the perfect prayer. Because you know why? You're bypassing this little old brain up here. Sometimes our little old brain mess up what God is saying on the inside and it's not hooked up right. So I do about 90 percent of it, but we'll get into that. Hopefully next time if we have time. But the, the second Wednesday in February will be our last session. And that night, here's what I'm planning on doing. I'm not going to be teaching that night, but we're going to put all this into practice. Okay? And I'm telling you now because I want you to help me with this. And that is, we, we, we're asking that people come that have needs. So if you know of anybody that has a need... They need demons cast out. If they're dead, need to be raised up. If they're sick and need to be healed, bring them. I believe we're going to see healings and maybe miracles.
All right? So we're going to put it into practice. What if it don't happen? Then we haven't lost a thing. All right? But what if it does happen? People have gained some things. So we're going to believe that things are going to happen. And uh, we're going to be talking to Kevin about advertising it here between now and I believe that's February the 9th, if I remember right. And um, it'll be our last session. And, and, and we'll have people praying for other people. And you people that have been through the class, we want you actively involved in that praying for people that night. And uh, as Alan and I were speaking earlier, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, we saw healing miracles of legs being lengthened, hips being healed, arms and shoulders being healed simply by having them set in something and we'd measure their leg and oftentimes they'd be this much off and while we're praying and declaring, come right back out. I've had several people that had to change their shoes because they had the shoe built up on the inside because they had one leg, that, you know, maybe this much shorter. They'd have to, after they got healed, we had one guy one time that walked out on, with one shoe on, one shoe off. Because it was easier for him to walk that way because it, he was, otherwise he was so out of balance. And another guy told me after he got healed, his socks did wear out like they used to on that one foot. He'd say, I'd have a good sock and I'd have another sock that had the heels worn out in it because of how it was rubbing on the inside because they were not level. So I believe God will do things like that. We had a lady one time that uh, she was a, a doctor of a, um, eye, uh, the wife of an eye doctor, and uh, she was having hip problems, and we were at their house. And uh, so, well, hey, she wasn't even a believer. Sit down in this chair. So we got down and measured her, and her, her feet were off about like that. So I'm holding her ankles like this, and Debbie was there with me. And... Uh, we didn't ask God, Father, oh, please, would you heal her? We didn't do that. We just said, leg, grow in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Started commending it, and we sat there and watched it. And the more it grew, she said, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. I feel it in my back. I feel it in my thigh. She got healed, which led to her getting born again just a few weeks later. I mean, we, we saw that quite frequently. But you know, if God will do that in the 70s and 80s, he'll do it in 22. But you and I have to expect it and believe it and start declaring it. So I'm saying that to you tonight so that between now, February, the, well, it, God can do whatever he wants to do on Sunday if he wants to. But I'm saying that for this class purposes, we're going to look to that happening on February the 9th and you can help us with that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for these, your people. And Lord, we believe that every one of us are going to be encouraged greater than ever before, full of faith and determination to hear your voice, speak your word, and see signs, wonders, miracles, healings, deliverances come to pass in the people that need it. We declare it and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. See you Sunday, if not soon.